sharing huge space. Look how fast he's going. Polar opposite to the conditions he won in Lords. Rain soaked Lords. They're getting the last step down. The crowd is roaring. He is going to do it. He's going to smash the time. Downhill racer and our expert here today, Andrew Needling. Hello and how's it? Welcome back. This is Moving Needle Podcast. If you're new to the show, I'm Andrew Nietling. I'll be your host. Well, this week, a little bit different. You're obviously used to the mountain bike content, come from a downhill background, but I love all things sport and definitely all things bicycle. And I'm honored to have an Olympian on the show this week. It's none other than Mike Day, a professional BMXer that went to the Olympics and managed a silver medal there. Now, we got to know each other. I always looked up to Mike Day. He was just so effortless on the bike. Um, we speak about all things about his technique, his skill, but also what it took to get to the Olympics and what it did to BMX, the good, the bad, the ugly uh, of Olympics, the pressures, just all the things that go into a career in BMX and pursuing the dream of being an Olympian. So guys, I hope you appreciate that. It's a pretty raw interview. I think it's amazing that he opens up with all the struggles as well. Don't take it as negative. Just look at that there's always two sides to things. Everyone just sees the accolades, the amazing lifestyle these pros live. But um, I think there's a lot more going on, especially in the head, uh, the mental game, uh, lessons you can take towards life. Uh, we chat a little bit about fatherhood. He's got two amazing youngsters. Um, and I really appreciate his time and candidness. So, guys, without further ado, enough from me. Let's get into this week's episode with Mike Day. Well, podcasters, um, I know I did a good intro for you uh, of Mike Day, but I am so lucky, privileged, honored to have Mr. Mike Day with us here on the podcast. Long time coming. He's been on my list. I just didn't have the balls to reach out. I wanted to get more comfortable to get a big man that's been to the Olympics and uh, definitely can hold his own in beer pong. I'll tell you that for free. Um, so, Mike, how are we doing today? Uh, good, man. I, uh, yeah, I, when I saw your, your message come through, I was like, oh, shit, that, that sounds like a good time. I haven't, I haven't talked to you, but we've had, some, we've had some good times in the past for sure. Yeah, I mean, f we'll get into some of your past and your upbringing because maybe there's more a mountain bike fan base here but you did cross over as well but I think what really drew me to someone like you is you always seem to have a good time on the bike always stylish and I knew of you before we did meet you know I was always like everyone knew of of Mike Day and you you definitely put BMXing on the map when you went to the Olympics and that but for the for the guys at home can you just give us like a little rundown on on the path to BMX on the past to being a pro yeah so like for me getting into bmx like or like becoming you know an olympic athlete that was never that was never a goal you know what i mean it was like it wasn't even in the olympics when i was growing up so for me i just loved riding my bike i spent more time riding like dirt jumps and trails and and uh you know growing up like through my amateur ranks i spent more time at the trails than i did training and it was just I actually just really loved riding my bike. And then uh, I turned pro just because I was, I had the skill to do it, but without, you know, a proper work ethic, I didn't know what it took to be a pro, but I know I had like the skill to compete with those guys. But 
So, uh, you know, I kind of struggled the first couple years and then all of a sudden, you know, I started picking up and then right when I started picking up the whole Olympic thing got thrown at me. And that's when, that's when my whole kind of goal changed. You know, I actually sought out, got a coach, started doing the, the things it took to be, to be a top guy. And, uh, that's when you kind of learn dedication and what, what it really takes. Like I just, I was just naturally kind of gifted and, and loved doing it. And when you love doing something, the passion kind of comes through and you're able to compete at some kind yeah. of level. But when you throw Olympics in and like so much money being thrown in from national federations and sponsors, it's like sometimes the fun gets taken away at times, but like the end goal, looking back, it was like an incredible deal for me. So as a, as a youngster, I'm hearing some similarities. I also, especially in the early years of World Cup racing, I mean, we just did a lot of riding. We did dirt jumps in between. You know, this is the era when Sam Hill, Rennie were getting on the podiums at World Cups. And in between, we were down at Slater and, and Sheep Hills. And from what I'm hearing, you, you, you know, you like to say you were talented or you were gifted. I mean, there's part of that I agree with. But I think what you alluded to is, you just loved riding a bike as a kid. So before we get to like the job, the pressure, the Olympics and how that maybe changed you and the sport, you know, you, a lot of people start in BMX, especially in America. I didn't, you know, my, like BMX didn't really exist here, but in America, it's a really big sport as a youngster. So what did, like, do you still remember going to the track as, as a youngster? And then maybe the second question, like at what point were you, were you, deciding okay i need to go pro instead of say going studying because i know you've got a bit of a passion for silver engineering and things like that so at what point did you decide hey i i i want to do a career but i kind of should do this biking thing well to be honest with you like well we'll get to the first question i lived like two miles down the street from the local track and we always would just like there was a group in the neighborhood. We would just pedal to the track and we'd ride. My older brother rode. He had a bunch of his buddies that were building trails. So I was kind of the little kid that was always just tagging along. But like, I just kind of grew to wake up and just want to ride my bike. That's all I cared about. I didn't care about, you know, anything else. And that even racing too, I was just, it was just more of like a, it was just like a deep love and passion for it and riding. And then, and then it got to, when I got to high school, my buddies all, we all build trails all winter long. And, but, um, it was never, it, it never felt like work. It was just a, you know what I mean? And then when I got, I was a senior in high school, um, like I didn't really have anything else to do as an amateur. I wasn't, I wasn't ready to turn pro. I knew I wasn't ready to turn pro, but I was like, I don't, you know, what, might as well. I mean, what else? I mean, might as well, you know? So I just, I turned pro, um, at the winter nationals, which is like a big race here at the States. Um, and it was a track as an amateur. I always did real well at So I was like, ah, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I, I waited. A lot of the guys turned at the beginning of the year. I waited till March. And, uh, that weekend, I, I think I got a second and a third in, in single A division. And I, like a lot of those guys, they take, they, they move up real fast. I wasn't in a big hurry. I, I raced single A pro that whole season. And, um, cause I knew once I got to double A or elite, it just, that's when it was real. And I, is, is that single A, like a semi pro, like, is it on the way to double A? Like, is there two different categories in BMX? Yeah, yeah, two totally. When I, I don't know how they do it now. Cause now it's like the Olympic level. It's like 
junior, you know, it's kind of the same mountain biking, junior, 17, 18. And then after elite, you're 19 and over, you're just elite now. But, but then it was like single A or double A. And then single A, you had to make, if you earned like six, or I think it was like $5,000 in purse, then you turn double A in a season. Mm, okay. So I kind of milked that all year because I knew I wasn't, wasn't quite ready for double A. And I ended up turning at the, the very last race of that season. And, uh, and just kind of figured out real quick that these guys are uh, on another level. <laughs> and it wasn't so much skill level. I could ride with them. Yeah, but that's never been your challenge, has it? Like the skill, the manualing, or the lines, huh? And that was so frustrating about when I tried to race mountain bikes because I just didn't have the skill. And I'm like, mentally, that's I had that my whole life. The skill was never an issue. Yeah. Oh, okay. So that was one of the biggest challenge. Yeah. The skill was like, I just didn't have any. I'm like, fuck, like it was so frustrating for me not to have the skill on a bike. I've never experienced that. It was so mentally challenging, but, but BMX wise to race with the, the double A's was no issue. It was coming out of the start. Those guys were just, just unbelievable out of the gate. And then, and BMX, the first 10 or 15 feet, that's kind of where the race is won or lost. So I had to do some some serious soul searching to 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 figure that out. So you were in the deep end there as a single A, and then you decided to go double A, and then you saw you're a bit in the deep end. But I'd rather have the skill and not really know how to train or be a little bit on the low on the work ethic because you can kind of force yourself work ethic. But sometimes if you don't have this enough skill, which comes from bike time and all that, that's a that's a tough one to learn quick because it takes time to build skill. You were speaking about it. You obviously lived on your bike like I did as a kid, like dirt jumping. Now, you know, with mountain biking, everyone's getting into mountain bike. I don't know if you've noticed it around where you live, but there's a lot of uh, older guys getting into mountain biking or back into it. But it's a challenge because they never built that skill, that confidence. They're not comfortable in the air, you know. So It's funny yeah. you say that because like as BMXers now, like it's such – it's, you know, like the training is so crazy now that everyone thinks they're going to the Olympics, right? So you'll get these kids that are training that are fast as hell, but they don't have the skill yet. Mm. And they haven't had the time that it takes, you know, because that takes just years and years and years. And all of a sudden you have a big engine, you're going faster than your skill. And a lot of these guys are, are crashing because of it. So, you know, they can get out in front, but they can't. They can't, you know, do the certain basic stuff that it takes to, to be able to, to compete at that level. Or, you know, they'll take the extra crank going up the lip and, you know, some and then all of a sudden they're on the ground and they're hurt. And then and then you're off for six, nine months trying to heal up and then you're behind the eight ball. So it's a weird thing in BMX now because like the whole the whole Olympic thing is kind of changing where it's not like people aren't doing it. I mean, don't get me wrong, I know there is, but I feel like the heart and the passion of it is is not the same as it was for me, obviously. But, I mean, I think everyone has a certain goal, but there's a lot of steps you got to take before that is even capable or even, you know, within reach, if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense, and I've got notes jotted down, but I love that you've jumped into one of the topics because I was going to ask, like, how BMX changed for you and how do you think it's changed? And I think we paused that a bit, but on the skill level, do you think 
now that it is in the Olympics, as is cross country, and and we're seeing a little bit in down because everyone's more professional, so they're training more. So do you think the steps are getting missed that a kid or a dad that's helping the kid or a trainer is getting them to train almost too early instead of letting them ride their bike, letting them find their skill set, letting them get comfortable on the bike? Because you can always train like into your – like I always say to guys, they're like, what, what should I do? What training? I said, ride your bike as much as you can that you because you you like to ride it eventually you're going to get a bit more burnt out on riding your bike and having fun and you're going to have to train but like almost the training is the easy thing you just go to the gym you knock it out but the bike time you can't you can't fake bike time and 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 that innate skill that you build over riding it's funny because like it's a totally different 180 mindset to the generation that i grew up with like we would spend all damn day on our bike and mm. and not only that, like I would spend all day and then fly to a race the next day. It's like now they, you know, kids are, I got to recover. My coach, my, I'm t- these kids are 12 years old. My coach is telling me I got to take a couple At days At 12, off. are you hearing this now? Yeah, it's crazy. And, um, you know, I, I'm getting thrown back into it because I, I got a little boy. I got a five-year-old boy that loves going to the track. Yeah. And um, I'm pretty, you know, I, I don't try to when I go, I'm trying to, I, I just kind of hide out and just kind of watch and listen, but it is a totally different, like just the way that the parents are talking and like coaching. It's just, you know, there's a national coming up here by our house in a couple of weeks. And all these parents are like, are you, are you bringing your kid to the national? It's like, he's five. No, <laughs> I'm not bringing him to the national. Um, he's five novice to begin with. He's, he's just learning how to ride. Like, no, we're not going to the, to the national. We, we got plenty of time. Even if he wants to do it, I'm hoping he picks up his golf swing, but, uh, <laughs> it's just a different deal. And I kind of feel bad because I think passion is, is slightly lost with where it's going at the moment. Um, so yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think we're lucky in downhill because it's still such a skill-based sport. And BMX is a skill-based sport. But with the Olympics and the gate start, you, you it's so important that if you do put the extra mileage in the gym and in the intervals and, and that, you can get out ahead. But, I mean, for kids at 12 to be worried about recovery and, you know, training, that's, that's, that's the – yeah, you should preach to that. I think any – fathers out here or future fathers i mean you can't miss those those development age that development age for for riding and skill and having so much fun like i say to him you've got years if you if you your goal is to make it as a pro and you do make it as a pro right you've got years and years of horrible training ahead of you right you're gonna burn you're gonna burn your yeah don't rush it like you're gonna burn yourself out anyway but you're an adult you know how to deal with it to put a kid through training and, and stuff like that and regimented programs, yeah, that's a that's a tough one. And you've just spoken about your your youngster, and I did want to ask, and I and that must be a pr- really special for you. And I have to ask, coming from a mountain bike side, and I did a one BMX race as a teenager at home, and I heard about BMX dads. Can you talk to that statement, <laughs> like <laughs> the epitome of some? I think some ruin it for many, and I'm not saying they're all like that. 
It's funny you say like BMX dad because we did uh, this last season. We did uh, baseball. My little boy did baseball, and it's the same shit in every sport. Yeah, I think. fair enough. Yeah, it's like not I don't just think it's BMX like thing. so much like just oh, BMX dads are crazy. Like, like they're what sports dads? Yeah, sports dads. Like th- these guys were talking about like you know you know coaching you know hating practice and and catching practice and hiring a coach and it's like. Like it, it's in every sport. I think. Like I think, I think sports like uh, the whole perfection of like coaching now is just is on a whole nother level. You know what I mean? Now, and parents just think that that's just part of the gig. When, like, if your kid really wakes up and wants to do something, he's gonna do it. Is what mm-hmm. I felt like. Like my little boy, he he's like I can already see like he's just driven in certain things like. He loves golf right now. That guy, like, we have a net in the backyard. Before school, he gets up and goes and hits in the net. And I don't really, yeah, with, without you, I don't say asking anything. about it. Yeah, I don't say anything. Like, some days I'll come down in the on the weekends, and he's watching like golf, like Academy on Golf Channel, in slow motion, watching the swing. It's like he's five. Like some people just kind of have that, that where he has a twin sister and she she could give two craps about any sport right now and like we hey you want to do soccer yeah eh, not really you know you want, like i'm trying to find what she wants to do just so she can kind of build a passion yeah um but that's been yeah. hard where he he like I, it is it's crazy like hey you want to go ride your bike or do you want to go to the golf range it's like let's go to the range like that's his thing right now like last year it was baseball let's go let's go to the park and hit balls he just if he asked me i'll do it but i'm not pushing anything and i think that that's something i wish i kind of had a little bit earlier like i love riding but i wish i would have picked up like the discipline and I, i'm not saying that he's like disciplined he's five he's just having fun but <laughs> i'm saying i wish i picked up like a bit more discipline and like structure a little bit earlier I was even pro a couple years and I still was kind of just think I was training but I, I really just wasn't. like mailing it in kind of thing yeah like you, uh, you know like you know like I had I wrote out some program that I didn't even know what the hell I was doing but I was checking those off the list so it made me feel a little bit more confident but I wish I would have been a little bit more detailed earlier I think I would have been I would have been ahead of the game a little bit yeah speaking of golf I was gonna ask you on this topic um I was going to bring up the Tiger Woods um, topic, but then you said your your youngster's into golf, so even better. Tiger Woods, the story goes that his dad – look, we know once he got good what his dad pushed and there's been documentaries on it, but in the beginning apparently he would sit him on a chair and Tiger would watch the dad swing in the garage. He never gave him the club yet. And when he picked up the club for the first time, he picked it up left-handed because he was like mirroring his dad who was in front of him. And apparently he was kind of like never pushed him in the beginning. He was kind of like Tiger wanted to hang out with his dad, right? So his dad would go to the range and Tiger would ask to go with and it wasn't always like pushed or allowed. And then eventually Tiger just really wanted to go. And and the reason I bring it up is you mentioned passion. Uh, are you, when you said you're hoping to find something for your daughter, is that because you got something, you got out so much from finding a passion in bikes and I too, I mean, when you just wake up and you want to go do a certain sport or you want to go do a certain thing, be it the piano, be whatever, 
it's quite a special, special thing because I stopped all sports when I found riding at a certain level. And I'm thankful because I stuck to one thing and nothing was going to get in my way. And, and it's brought me to a level that I'm very happy with, satisfied, and I get to speak to people like you. Um, and I'm not going to say successful because who can deem what successful is, but it is quite special following one thing and achieving certain goals that you set out to achieve. Yeah, and like, don't get me wrong, I, I love like what it brought me and the, the feelings I had and like chasing certain goals and like, and I would love for her to find that. But even if you're passionate, you you learn a work ethic, you learn how to set goals, you learn how to, you learn drive and determination and and it doesn't matter if even if it's a sport that can translate to business life whatever school whatever that whatever that is but i think i think learning that and i think at a young age you can do that through sport pretty easily right that's it's fun to begin with and um i just think there's endless possibilities when you when you can link a passion and then convert that to to hard work and 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 see like a goal that you've set out and you worked and you achieve it, that feeling is like unbelievable, right? It's, yeah, and, and it, and it doesn't, there's many years where I put goals and you don't achieve it. And, um, and it makes like when you do get it, that feeling is, is unbelievable, but that can transfer into any, any facet of life. I feel. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I spoke to uh, a rugby player that's since retired and he's into business. And I spoke to him about it. There's like a tangible goal or result, you know, and, and sometimes the feedback is instant for some work you're putting in or it takes two, three months if you're working on, say, gate starts and BMX and you can see the times dropping or you need to get better at manuals or whatever it may be. And And the same can go for business, but sometimes it takes longer and it can be harder, but I do believe, I think sports and, and becoming a professional, you learn drive, you learn worth ethic, you learn sacrifice. And the kids can see, I mean, you, your son's eventually going to see all the time he's put in hitting balls into the net. He's eventually going to see the scores on the course or, or be at BMX. So it is yeah, an interesting kind of funny, thing like to you hear. Say that we, were, we were playing at this par three course by our house and we've had this net for about a month. And this one hole that he loves, he can drive the green. It's a real short one. And, um, but he hit it clear over the green and just pured the ball. And that, that thing just went flying over. And he looked at me. I was like, hey, dude, the net's working, right? And he, he's like, you could see it. It's like, oh, my God, like it, it, it's working. And it's just kind oh, of funny because, nice. like, I could see it and I know what it is. But he just doesn't quite understand what's going on. But I'm like, hey, dude, that's to keep practicing right and he just it, it is funny seeing it through a five-year-old but it's uh and it's cool seeing it on the other side now you know what i mean it's not me and i'm saying this is is, is it's kind of being crazy talking about a five-year-old but it's kind of the start right you get the, the foundation laid yeah i heard someone describe father so i'm not a, a father yet and uh he said it, it's so awesome you get you not live through your kid per se but you get to live life a second time and I was like what do you mean he said well the first time you drop him at the first day of school you remember potentially your first day of school or maybe something like this like his practice and it's working on the course already so 
It's quite interesting here you describe that because it makes sense. But it's funny, like you have, say, you know, you're not living through the kid, but like, you know, all these crazy sports dads, they are living through their kid. Well, that's the negative side. If you are, maybe you didn't quite achieve something you wish you had. Yeah, and maybe, but yeah. like, I don't know. I just feel like that's kind of a, a slippery slope. Like I remember hearing races like, you know, you'd you'd hear kids like, oh, the parents like, yeah, we, we had a good weekend. It's like, what do you mean we had a good weekend? Like <laughs> you picked up the rental car and signed him up. He was on the gate stressing out all weekend. What do you mean we had a good weekend? And I know it's a team, and but it's kind of an individual. I don't know. That that kind of gets deep, but you know what I mean. Yeah, no, I, I, I do. And, and I was going to say, I can also speak your ear off about golf because that's a huge passion of mine on, on top of bikes. But let's not <laughs> muddy the waters and make it a golf podcast. But you mentioned something. Where did, so where did the passion and the hard work or the realization that you're going to need to put the hard work, when did that, like at what stage did that intersect? And was that similar to when you were like, I'm going to make a real career of this? Was was there a time that you can remember that you were like, shit, I need to get my shit in a pile and give this a real go? I remember 2005 Worlds. It was in, um, it was in Paris. And, um, you know, I was, I was going pretty well, but it was just off of, um, like I had a couple seasons under my belt. I kind of figured it out. And I got second at Worlds and without really like giving, without really training properly, right? And um, and then about a month later, it was introduced into the Olympics. And then I'm like, holy shit, like if I'm getting second at Worlds and I'm not really like having like a legit program, you know, what, what could happen if I really put my head down? And uh, that's so that about that time, and I was already a Red Bull athlete then. So I, I kind of contacted them. I was like, hey, I don't really know what the hell I'm doing. Um, I need a little bit of guidance and a little bit of help. Can you help me put a bit of a program together to like, I, I think I can make the Olympic team. And, uh, and, and like all you, all the listeners know that that company, if you have like something like that, and you present it to them, they're, they're, they loved stuff like that. So we, and Jill was, Jill was on the team during that time. So right then we, we kind of started putting like a bit of a, a game plan together. And that was, that was just an un, unbelievable time. But, but it also came with like stress, right? Like you have all these people like putting so much time and effort into it. And then you're, you're, you're kind of putting that pressure on yourself to, to perform. It's like, sometimes it was a bit overwhelming, but about 2005 was when I really like, you know, did it properly. I, I, I had the daily training regimen, you know, I, every, everything was set up, but then like to, to kind of talk about like the passion and the love for it, like, there are days like on your training program, all right, you're going to do a, you know, an hour recovery ride and then nothing. It's like, well, you think I can go to the skate park for a little bit or, and it's like, no, you're, you're got to be ready for gates the next morning. You know what I mean? So it's like, you kind of lose a little bit of that to gain. So it, that was like a mental challenge almost. 
yeah, if you were only just getting into that, that's that's delayed gratification. That's the sacrifice, isn't it? People don't understand that. Like, but you get to ride every day, you get to train every day, you get to race around the world. Yes, amazing job. Wouldn't take anything back. However, when it gets to strict training programs and and to perform at the best, you have to sacrifice. And sacrifice for you was. I don't want to sit on the couch. I want to go to the skate park. I want to have fun. I want to build skill sets. No, you've got to be ready and rested to get your best gym session or gates. So it, it sounds like Olympics was the catalyst and a, an amazing thing for BMX getting added to the Olympics, but it changed everything. It changed everything for you, changed everything for the sport. Um, it's way more professional than it ever was. But with that comes the pressure. With that comes just... I think burnout, I mean, I was going to ask you, and we'll get to it later, I think it can can cause burnout if there is no fun. If you come from a background of having fun on your bike, it's not like you're a swimmer and you've just always been swimming lengths and now it's like, okay, I've got to get a bit more regimented, I've got to eat better and I've got to swim a few more lengths. Like I'm used to doing that. Weird analogy, I know, but as a bike rider, you get like fun out of it. There's adrenaline. There's all sorts of stuff that comes with it. But talk us through like the Olympics, the buildup, or when you guys started going to the training camp when they build like a specific track that mimicked the Olympic track, like all those, that time of your life. Yeah, so I remember like we went to, to Red Bull and they're like, all right, so like what do you need to make this happen? And I remember this, we sat in this this conference room and this big whiteboard, and uh, like we, me and Jill just started writing crazy things down, and we kind of used like the analogy of a of a like a clock, right? The middle the middle gear was win gold at Beijing. That was like that was the thing, right? And then we we set little cogs all around the whiteboard, everything that's gonna spin together to make this this big gear spin. It was just more of like a visual mental thing for us that we could take a picture of, and it was just. And we spent hours in there and, um, you know, and then you, and then from that we said, all right, you got to set your goals. And then you got to set a few goals that you're going to set, you know, goals that are going to make you, you know, when, you know, you know I mean? There's like basic goals to, to get to the big goal, right? You got to have the weekly goals. You got to, you know, diet, you know, we were just, we just went crazy on this thing and it was like a four or five hour deal. And uh, from there, we just started slowly building, and I moved down to San Diego. I lived at the training center, and uh, we watched as the Olympic training center built the, we had a Beijing replica track, which, I don't, I mean, I don't know if your viewers think, like a BMX track, it's like, you can't make a replica track, that's the stupidest thing ever. <laughs> right, like, well, the, you guys tried with the start ramp. That yeah, it's like, huge. if we had the start ramp, that was that was plenty, right? But they all like tried every like Luke Medill, they all tried to make this replica track. They were measuring out like how high the jumps were. And it's like you just can't do it. it. Our track was like we got to the Olympics and it was like the track was tiny compared to ours. We, ours was much bigger. But um yeah, we just I just ate, slept and breathed making the Olympic team. I didn't think of anything else, you know, living at the training center, you had, you had a mental coach there. You had, uh, 
we had sports physio guys. So every time you you woke up sore from something, you went straight to the to the medic room, and it was like it's like dude, you're like a pro like a pro athlete, right? You're like a damn NBA player. You're getting taped up before, and um, and it was such a mind like it was so different from what I was used to. I almost was like. I didn't know how to deal with it, to be honest. That's why I spent a lot of time in, in, the, in the psych room because uh, I just didn't know, like, do I need to be doing that stuff? Do I need to be sitting in the ice bath, you know, after a training session? Like, I, you know what I mean? Like, there's almost, it was so much overwhelming at times that I was like, I would, I would drive home for a weekend or a week just to like, all right, I got to, I got to get back to my, to myself a little bit. It was, it was it was it was a challenge at times so it was the full like american olympic training center for multiple sports obviously right and then they added the bmx program so you guys got clumped in and you were able to use the full facilities yeah so like we would be training in the gym with track and field guys and uh swimmers and it was cool it was kind of cool you know you'd see phelps would do it be doing a training camp and Oh really? The the likes of Phelps would come through the train that center at times. Theirs was more based out of the other one. The San we built the they built the track at San Diego because the weather is always really good. So um, it was weird. Like certain sports kind of went to different ones, but BMX was in the California one just because we had we have sun all year round. But yeah, they would all do camps and stuff there. But like the the fun thing was like eating dinner. We'd all eat the dinner together you know the the big cafeteria there and you could you could pick the brain of uh of an archery person or a track and field or you know what i mean it was like they have no idea what you're going through sport wise but the overall goal they know exactly what you're mentally trying to do so it was kind of did you kind of fun sorry kind of a fun deal to like be able to kind of you know, see that from both sides and, and our sport had never been to the Olympics. So you didn't know really what you were getting yourself into. So it was kind of nice to be able to pick other people's brains on, on certain things. Yeah. I can imagine that is awesome. And you could lean on some guys that maybe been to Olympics before, uh, mentally, you know, and, uh, but at the same time, it sounds like that came with its own pressures. You mentioned overwhelmment and it, was it sometimes like Groundhog's Day? Like almost like a boot camp every day? Like it's just a boot camp. I'd go home some days because like there'd be times where like 10 days would go by and I would never leave the training center because they have everything. Yeah. You never you never cook a meal. You never, you go to the cafeteria. You never. Wow. The gym is right there. The rehab thing is right there. There would be, there would be 10 or 12 days I would never leave. And, um. Yeah, like every day blended together. I mean, obviously, <laughs> don't get me wrong, it was awesome. But there would be times where, I'll, like, I would just, I call my dad. I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm out of here right now. I, I gotta go. Or you know, I'd go. I'd spend a couple extra days at a race or or something just to like not go. Not not like not like I'm going back, but like just to distance myself a bit. Well, I mean, you, you need balance. I mean, coming from a sport that's a pair of jeans and a piss pot helmet and a t-shirt and some 
some vans and you can have a great time to being thrust into a world that other sports are super used to, you know, track and field. That's how they've been training for years, optimize every little inch. Um, it's weird, you know, when it, it's like an action sport needs a sprinkle of everything. You got to, it's, it's, it's a unique sport to just get thrown into the Olympic bubble. Yeah. That's like, it, but, but like when you're there, you you think like, all right, like I like, this is what it takes. Like if you're, if you have all these resources available, it's like, why aren't, why wouldn't I want to take a bit? But I just, yes. so I try to like put myself in that mindset of like doing everything I could, but I was like imploding at times. I just couldn't do it. I had to get out of there and I would, yeah, I would <laughs> just go home and hang out with my friend, you know, my friends that don't ride just to like feel, you know, normal again. You know what I mean? You're not a robot. How many months or years on and off was this training camp or the facility like from day one that you started using it to the Olympics, I guess, right? And how how long was that? I did a little over two years. On, Oh, two years that you technically called that home? Yeah, I, I lived in a twin bed two years before 08. Did you have a roommate or do you at least have your own room or how does it well, work? Well, for a while I had a roommate in the room. So it was like each each apartment wow. had two beds, but two beds per room. So there's four guys in an apartment. Yeah. But the last year, because I had like a certain ranking or whatever, I got I got my own room, which, you know, <laughs> was was quite nice. <laughs> I, could, I mean, I've watched. Uh, have you watched the Michael Phelps documentary of the weight of gold? No, I haven't. Oh, we should. Uh, I'll try. I mean, I say I do. I often forget to put it in the show notes, and I'll send it to you afterwards. Um, yeah, I mean, some people are from sports that they don't have a lot of financial backing, and they're living, you know, month to month. And maybe, luckily, these training centers exist for some of their training, but after that. These beer makes their kind of outside sponsors, and then uh, can you talk a bit about, say, the pressures or may and some of some of the mental help you had, say, from the sports uh, doctors and stuff leading up to maybe the trials was probably the big pressure cooker to to you because you got to make the team. Like even though you're one of the best in the world, there's only a few. Were there two American spots? Three. Yeah, and that's not a lot because the Americans are so strong. You guys could have had ten. Yeah. Especially then, like now it's kind of the Europeans. Even down. The Europeans have just gotten so good over the last like 10 years that they've kind of, they've kind of overtaken us. But mentally, like it was difficult. It was, that was probably the hardest thing. Because even growing up mentally, I wasn't like, that was always a str- hard for me to, to deal with pressure. And there'd be times where I felt, you know, when you go through practice and you're like, Oh man, I'm winning. I got this shit. I just feel good. You, yeah. you, you're not thinking about it. It's just happening. Right. Like, and then you would go into the main and you'd get, you, you know, I'd mess up the gate or something and it's like, fuck. So on top of that, and then you get all these, funding and you have red bull kicking in you know they're flying a coach around with me and jill and you know we have like just the most dialed program out of any bmxer that that 
Olympic cycle, our, our program was just unbelievable. So then you're putting pressure on yourself because you feel like everyone's going out of their way to like really make it as easy as possible. So then that kind of added pressure and, uh, and then the whole, like the whole idea of going to the Olympics just put like this pressure on you that you're just like, Oh my God, like I couldn't deal with it at times. So I, um, yeah, I started seeing a sports psychologist that would kind of put things in slightly perspective, Mm. but it was still a never ending battle of how to deal with it and how to like stay in the moment and not think of the think you know, three steps ahead of, you know, you got to stay today. Right. Mm, yeah, definitely. If you can easier said than done. I mean, that's the magic bullet really. Yeah. Cause everyone's talking about, Oh, you know, you have this opportunity to go to the Olympics. When you think about it, it's like not many people can do that. And when it's right there and you can, and you can almost touch it, but, but I wasn't even like going into it. I was on the depth chart, but I wasn't like a sure guy to make the team. Like it was out of the, out of the eight, eight or so guys, I was probably fifth or sixth on the list. But each month living there, I could see it's like, all right, this is, this is coming together. I can see me making slow progress, but I can see it it's starting to get the ball rolling. And then I would be a little closer and a little closer and I get in a, you know, a podium or whatnot. And then it's like, all right. So like that mental thing is like, you know, it's just, it's a constant, like you always have to be working on that. Or I I think that's almost as, as important as building your, your skills or anything. Like, I think athletes now, like, we're so sports specific that you, that's one thing that I don't think many, any, you know, very many athletes like really buckle down and, and figure out even, even me like that. I think I kind of scratched the surface, but if I could do it all again, I would, well, it's been a lot more time on that side. If that makes sense. It does. And I, and it's, and you got to watch this, this movie because it obviously gets into the, you know, the, the pressure, the, the overwhelmment, the depression sometimes after Olympics, which I definitely want to ask like what it's like after that, but let's pause that. But back to the, the, the mental side, I think athletes, maybe successful business people, I don't know, high achievers don't want to admit weakness. You're meant to be this athlete. You're meant to be strong. And this comes up in that movie. So it's sometimes at the height of the career, you don't want to admit that you've got the mental weakness because you're like, ah, like physical I can fix, skill I can work harder. Like I don't want to admit that I'm mentally a little weaker than that guy. Like I'm not I'm, I'm not going to tell them I'm going to a sports psych, but it's it's a muscle. You can get better. I, 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 okay, so here's, here's a view and uh, jump in. I think someone like Greg Menard, I think he has trained it, but I do think something chemically with pressure, he needs the pressure and it kind of, he gets to a baseline and he, you know, the big events he does well at, it makes him more focused. He needs like a big event to get focused enough. I, sounds like maybe you, well, actually, no, I won't compare myself to you second at the Olympics, but I need like a certain amount of pressure and stimulation and then I got to manage it because if it gets too much and I get ahead of myself, I, I'm probably a little weaker than 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 some. But I had a you know like I was consistent because I managed it and I went to speak to doctors and stuff because I was like, hey, it's a 
you, you get a coach to go physically better. Why don't we get a coach that can optimize my thought process? Yeah. And it's kind of funny, like for me, like, you know, like when you're leading up to an event and you know, you're feeling good and you're like, you're, you know, I always knew when I was going well, when I go to practice and I wasn't thinking it was just happening. Mm. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, it like, came naturally. Like during like Olympic trials for me, I, I can honestly say that was the most mentally prepared I've ever been, hands down. I took this crazy way to get there. And um and I was like always really big in like visualization. I always like I would lay in bed the the nights leading up to that event and I, I would just picture myself and I I knew where I was gonna be. This is kind of creepy, I mean a little crazy at times, but I knew like I had it so overwhelmingly I knew so well in my mind that I was going to win that race. I knew where like my dad was going to sit in the stands. I knew I knew like I knew how the motors were going to go. I knew the routine I was going to do. I knew I just had it mentally and I would lay in bed and I would go through the rounds and I would go through every event cuz I knew that was my only chance to make the Olympics. I had to win that race. So just like weeks in advance, seeing myself winning it, I I honestly knew I I just I had this overwhelming this sense of belief that I was winning that race, and I could and I executed the way I thought about it to a T, and it, it's almost That's creepy incredible. thinking about it that everything I thought about at night exactly happened. That's incredible. Can you remember the? day where you just did you feel more comfortable on the actual day because of basically f doing the prep mentally that you had already done it or did it feel like you kind of already done it so you just nothing was a surprise and you were just going to this plan that you had in your head a month prior to the event uh usa cycling put out the schedule of the event so I knew exactly what time of the day each, there was five heats and it was a total points thing of five rounds. And it was, I, I don't remember, I don't remember the times now, but it was like practice from like nine to 10, 15. The first round was that it was like to the minute. The first round would be at, you know, uh, 1031. And the next one would be at 1048. And it was like every like 18 minutes or something. And I knew exactly what time. And then I knew my only chance to make that the team was to win that race, but we had worlds in between that event. So I sat with my coach and I'm like, like, don't get me wrong. I want to win worlds, but at some point in my career, I'd love to win worlds, but I want to make the team. So I, I called up my GT at the time. I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm not going to go to worlds this year. I'm going to stay home and I'm going to run the trials to the T because we had opened the, the track. Mm. We had the track to ourselves. Yeah. So every fourth day from, from when I got that schedule to the trials, I ran a simulation race to the amazing to the exact time of how, of, of the time it was going to run. I'm getting goosebumps. That's an incredible story. Man. So then like I, I, so as I kind of, I got it down, I, I did the routine like eight or nine times. And I knew exactly when I was going to get up 
when I was going to eat breakfast, what I was going to eat breakfast. I knew when I was going to start warming up, how many gates and how many warm ups I was going to do in the, the practice slot of time that we had to warm up. And then I, I knew after each lap, I knew exactly my routine. I knew I'd come, I'd do a cool down lap. I knew what I was going to eat between each lap and when I would start warming up for the next one. And by the time the race came, that's what kind of, that's kind of how I had it mentally. Cause I just, I already knew how I was going to feel. I knew how I was going to feel. I knew what, what my body was going to feel like during that day. And, uh, it just, that I've never felt like that ever. And, and I, and I crushed it that day. I, the way the math worked out, we didn't even have to run the final because I had already mathematically, no one could catch me. And uh, I just, I just look back at that. So cool. I look back at that, and it's like, I mean, obviously you couldn't do that for many races because you know I had, I had, well, everyone was gone at the world, right? So they were gone in China. It was like at a different event in China, and it was like they were gone for two weeks. So I had the whole training center to myself. And I just, every, every third day I ran, I ran the simulation race and, uh, and I, I, thinking about it now, I was like, damn, that was such a good time. <laughs> but think, I mean, that's incredible. Thanks for sharing that. I'm not sure many people know about that story, but it just makes me think so many things. And I might've mentioned on the podcast before, but I've heard someone else speak about confidence and they say, Confidence comes from demonstrated practice. And I certainly believe that. I think when you say you felt super comfortable, everything flowed, do you not think a mental state comes from when you prepare so well and so meticulously and you know you've done all the work and you've done these simulation races? I mean, you must sleep at night and go, I've done everything I physically can and more. I've done more than anyone else. I think that breeds confidence as well. And that's what I got out of my training or sticking to a program is, I've done everything I can. I've done what the coach set out, the plan we had in place. And I think that's an incredible story that you've shown. And that it really makes me believe in that statement. Confidence comes from demonstrated practice. You can't just buy confidence. And, and to be honest with you, like if I've done everything I possibly can and I've checked everything off and I get beat, I, I, I can live with that. No worries. I'm all right with mm. that. Yeah. But when you, when you, when there's doubt or like, oh man, I wish I could have done this. I wish I, maybe this, or, you know, or you miss a couple little steps. Doubt is, I think doubt is a very, very powerful thing that can creep in. And, uh, yeah, I can imagine, man, especially at that level, but you clearly ticked all the boxes, huh? Yeah. That one there, if I was losing that one, I, I, I was okay because it, it it was what it was, right? I, I couldn't have done anything else. <laughs> That's incredible. And um, going so now you've you've made the Olympic team, which must be one of the big weights of your shoulders. Can you, from a rider that has no chance to ever go, and never could go with a sport I chose, can you talk to me about? going to the Olympics and I don't know, I would assume you guys, you know, it's pre COVID. So you got to go to the opening ceremony. I don't know that, you know, I don't know when you flew in and out, but like the experience of the Olympics for people that haven't been. 
to be, I didn't get to go to opening ceremonies because our event was towards the end. So we flew in like a week after it started. I got to go to the closing one, which from what I've heard is a bit a better time because everyone's having a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, but like for me, like I knew I was in really good form. I knew like after trials, I kind of kept the ball rolling and I had like two months and like, it was just flowing. Like I could just, my gate times and everything I could just feel were like I was, I thought I had a chance to win. I, I going in, like I had a, I, I, I really truly believed I had a, a good shot at winning. And, um, I mean, obviously I didn't tell anyone that, but that's just kind of what I, what I felt deep down. And, um, so going there, it was kind of hard too. Cause I, I wanted to do the experience and like take it all in and go to all these events. And I did go to some looking back. I, I wish I would have went to a little bit more, but, but I was still in the mindset, like, all right, get back, get back to the room, put your feet up, um, stay off the internet. Um, don't read all these, you know, cause it was the first time our sport had been in it. So you're, you know, everyone's the internet talking nonsense. Um, when you were able to stay off the internet mostly when it counted? Mostly yeah, yeah, I tried to stay off it. I don't know if I like took in the experience as well as I, I could have, to be honest with you. Cause I was just, I was, I was locked in. I just, I knew how well I felt going in that I didn't want to, I didn't want to blow it, like going out and having, walking around and going to all the events. I tried to, I tried to stay in my little bubble. And um, so looking back, I wish I, I wish I would maybe would have done it a little bit better, but who knows? I could have been sitting here and not make the final. So I don't, who knows? Yeah. I mean, I, thanks for sharing that. I don't think people really understand that the sacrifice it takes to go to the Olympics and it's not just fun and games there and going to watch all your fellow countrymen do their sports. Like I have heard that. I mean, you're there for one thing and one thing only, and that was to try get a medal or the gold medal. Um, so yeah. And then to talk us through. It, it was hard too. Cause like our practice days were early and I remember going down to uh, the dining hall to get breakfast and other athletes were coming in from the night out, like loose cannons, still a shirt. Why, why it was there? Why was the event finished? Their event was the finished. They're coming in for breakfast. Oh. Their shirts halfway down and they're wasted. And I'm just coming in. And I'm like, oh Jesus Christ! It was cool to see because everyone was like letting loose a little bit. But I'm like, it was just it was just kind of funny. I remember two mornings straight in a row. There people were coming in from the night out, and uh, and I'm getting ready to go to practice, but. Um, but you could just tell, like, once you're done with it, it's just like the stress is like it was the greatest feeling the next morning, to be honest with you, when that was over. And that's kind of oh, sad. That's kind of sad to say because it's like such a big thing. But like, I know, but you've got this four years of weight on your shoulders, surely. And then you're, like, you kind of feel a bit empty the next morning, but you're like relieved, but kind of empty because you're like, oh, well, fuck, what's now? Like, what do we do now? But, um, 
like the emotion, the, the roller coaster, like the flight home. It's just like, it was a lot. But Mike, I do want to ask you about that. That's one of my like key topics to understand that emotion after the Olympics. But you're glossing over a silver medal. Yeah, I I do want to hear about that, and I'm sure the listeners like wants to know. I mean, you got it to the finals, all the pressure, and you 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 got a silver medal. I mean, a, a medal at Olympics. I understand silver could be bridesmaid, but I mean, that's an incredible accomplishment. Yeah, no, I I have no regrets on that. I remember, I think all your listeners know King, Mike King. He was the director of our of our program at USA Cycling. And I'm not going to put this on King, but I'm going to I'm going to take a little stab at him here. I was uh, happily, happily so, so. But, but for, for the listeners, for King, King Mike King is a former top BMXer, went to mountain bikes, had a illustrious career, and then was the Olympic BMX coach. So there's the context. Yeah, but he now won, you can he have your di- you can have your dig it. He did. Yeah, I need a, I need to look it up. He had like a fantastic career. But you you you're allowed to have a dig at him. This is your episode. <laughs> like it's not bad or anything, but I think he did win. Like I think it's like ninety three or ninety four downhill worlds he won. But anyway, yeah, I must. I'll look I'm it up. Going, he had he had some great results. I'm going good in the motos in the quarterfinals and semifinals, and each how it works is each round. Your the next heat is off of your off of your lap time so the third semi king king comes up to me he's like all right man you're you look good and uh he's like he's like you're already mathematically in the final and i'm like okay all right that's cool you know i'm in the main i made the main at the olympics but i needed like at that time i don't know if i needed him to tell me that rather than all right Get your ass going. You have one more good lap, um, and you'll have the inside gate pick. And BMX, if you're in lane one, that's like a game changer. You just cut so much time off the track having the inside on the first turn. So I had won all three of my quarters. I had won the first two semifinals, and King had told me that. Oh, and you maybe let off, huh? That's just me thinking about it, you know, what is it, 10, 12 years later? Me just being a grumpy, <laughs> bitter old man now. But I think I would have had a different out, maybe, if I would have had, if I would have won that one and got the first pick. And that's just looking back. And maybe he's like, don't toss it away and crash and get hurt before the main if you're in her. So it's like a fine line, isn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, it's like, I'd rather him not saying it, but he's probably saying, hey, hey don't crash. Don't do anything you don't need to do right now. You're already in. Yeah. But I needed to stay in the moment. Be like, I need. I needed to win that one to get a better gate pick. But that's just me. Like I'm saying, speculating. Fucking 10, 12 years later. But sometimes I, <laughs> sometimes I, I think, like, because I've watched that lap so many times. Um. But sometimes I think, what would have happened if I didn't? If he didn't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> that, that I can imagine there's lots of thoughts, you know, an incredible accomplishment. And then, you know, in maybe 10 years from now, you'll be like, huh, silver though. Imagine it was gold. But I mean, 
it probably doesn't matter as much. No, it doesn't matter you know, now. Like, I, it is what it is. But like, yeah, even yeah, but it's, but it's cool, cool speculating. Yeah, yeah. Like, even in this, I don't know if any if anyone goes on YouTube. Like, going into the second turn, I go inside. Like, I thought in the air we jumped over the girls' turn, and in the air I'm like, fuck! I think I can go inside and, and pass this guy. Is this in the final or the final semifinal? In the final. Okay, so in the final, we need a YouTube, the 2008 Olympics, obviously, and then right? As I go into the second turn, I'm, I'm thinking about it like, fuck, I think I can, I think I could do it. And then looking back now, it's like, fuck, I could have done it, maybe, or I could have crashed and got, like, because Jared fell right then in that, in that same corner. I could have been, I could have got eight, right? So who knows? All speculation from, uh, we, could, we can discuss that over beers, you know what I mean? Definitely over beer pong. <laughs> uh, but it's but, um, it's good, good thinking then, it's I good mean, thinking about that kind of stuff nowadays but um it is you do think like what if what if he didn't say that what if i would have done you know but that's kind of the fun of it yeah definitely we 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 looking back in in time here and and going back in time crossing the finish line Speak to us about that emotion. You were saying like it's kind of a relief, even though you should be super excited, but it's just like it's the weight off your shoulder, isn't it? Yeah, and like this might sound like this might sound like I'm coming off as a dick, but I was I was slightly upset, to be honest with you. Without because your goal was the gold and you'd put all that work in. And, and not like it wasn't like gold or bust or anything like that, but like I had never felt like that before. Like everything was just, it was happening easy and it wasn't, there was no struggle. I'd had no mental breakdowns during the day. I like, I was going up to the gate and I was like, I'm winning this. I just had this overwhelming confidence, right? I just, I felt on cloud nine and like, you know, when you, you hear athletes talk about, I was in the zone like mm. I had never felt like that before. And I don't know if I ever got back to that feeling ever again. I was only in that for like a little bit. On the Olympic day or would you include the Olympic trials? Yeah. From well? like that trials to, to about, I, I had a couple races after Olympics. It was like a four month period. Yeah. yeah. And like, it was just like this unbelievable confidence form, like everything just felt right. And I came across the line and I was just like, like, I didn't know how to, I didn't know what to think. I was like, kind of like slightly, I wouldn't say bummed out, but I was just like, yeah, kind of bummed, I guess. It's fascinating. It's just that high achiever just want, you know, always wanting more. What could be more? I mean, it's human nature as well. If you were feeling that good and how much work you put in. And looking back now, like, don't get me wrong. I look at that medal. I'm like, oh, shit, that's pretty cool. You know what I mean? That's like an unbelievable deal. But at that certain point, I remember crossing the finish line like it was yesterday. And um, and I was just like slightly disappointed. And that's kind of kind of sad to say out loud, but it's the truth. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, if you've set a goal and you've worked and lived basically in a dorm for how many years, and and 
you believed you could do it and you had the skill to do it, that's for sure. And maybe on a different day you would have, but I mean, you clearly handled it super well. And post Olympics, I mean, maybe the emotion coming home, like, I, so this is where that movie comes in, the weight of gold. And it's that pressure preparing and maybe the race doesn't go your way. I mean, some people get fourth. I mean, there's a big difference between fourth and a, and a medal. I mean, you went on the Oprah, Oprah Winfrey show, right? You and Jill. Yeah, no, don't get me wrong. Like fourth would have been devastating to I mean, people get seriously depressed and there's some there's real mental illness uh, post-Olympics, which Michael Phelps is now trying to educate people. He's saying there's no support structure after Olympics. I've heard Sean White, him talk about, they get depressed. Like really, like Michael Phelps has, has spoken out. And, and there are people that have taken their own lives uh, after Olympic careers and stuff. I don't even think that's so much Olympics. That's all sport. Even if your sport isn't in. When you're done with it... Mm. I mean, I can imagine going from a downhill World Cup and all of a sudden you don't have a sponsor the next year and you're getting old and it's time to move on. It's like, it's the same feeling. It's just you didn't go to, your sport wasn't in, right? So it's, mm. that I think that's more of a uh, an athletic thing. Like, you know, you're, you're in your 20s making decent, you know, pretty good money or whatnot all your friends are in school, they're struggling, you know, and you're living this high life. And then you, you kind of retire, they're, they're starting to pick up, they're buying their houses, you know, it's like a total flip. You're starting over yeah. from ground zero. It's, it's like a, it's a nice piece of humble pie for sure. Oh, it, it is, isn't it? And just like, and yeah, I agree. I agree that the similarities, it doesn't matter if it's Olympic or not. Um, I guess this, the athletes that go to Olympics have this four-year work towards this goal. It either goes well and even – so if it doesn't, it's pretty depressing. If it goes well, they you still come home and you got to mow the lawn and we're like, huh, what do I do today kind of thing. So, yeah, I think it's not spoken about a lot. Is the challenges post-sports uh, careers, post – like you say, you're you're living this high life. Like people are at your beck and call. People are throwing good money at you. You're going on the Oprah Winfrey show. I mean, it is a bit of humble pie because you left with you left with a knowledge of drive, dedication, sacrifice. But your skill set is riding a bike. <laughs> but once you don't ride a bike well enough, or you're tired, like you don't get paid in an office because you're good at riding a bike. No, not at all. I'm learning that. Uh, drastically at the moment <laughs> um, but like you know how you talk about the whole depression thing I tried to go to 2012 Olympics and I didn't make the team so like to go from almost winning to not making the team that I think I learned more about myself then than I ever have in my entire life that was super super rough that was tough, tough to handle. And you had an, was that the injury was just bef was in that period, right? You also had an injury to deal with as well. Yeah, in 2010, I had a disc replaced in my lower back. So I took a whole season off and I just never, I never got back to form. I made it to Olympic trials in 2012 and um, I kind of had that same mindset and that same prep and I just got second that day. And to be honest with you, that that was the best I had rode 
on Olympic trials till that that Olympic, you know, a couple years prior, four years prior. I felt I left that day knowing that that was the best I I could rode that day, and I, I didn't have any regrets. But like the the disappointment is still super heavy. Yeah, had the sport uh, progressed even more? You know, with more people being professional, more people training because of the 2008 Olympics, like was there maybe some more depth in the American field? I mean, I remember, I think I was chatting to you and just like listening to some of the training and the the stuff these BMXs were doing was, was pretty gnarly. Yeah. And I don't know if it was more depth. It it was just like with that injury, like having to change to not, I wasn't able to do the stuff I was doing. Mm Hmm. And that created doubt, right? I wasn't checking all the boxes yeah. and I wasn't doing everything I could, but I couldn't do it because I was, my body just wouldn't, I remember doing gate starts and like, I think everyone listening would know like a BMS gate start, it's just not a normal movement. It's a, and it's super weird. And, um, you know, your hips are going up and you're kind of like hyperextended and you're starting with the same foot every time. So your body's kind of always kind of weirdly rotating. And, um, and I had that back disc replacement and, and I felt good, but like after a certain amount of starts, like I could just feel like, all right, that, that, you know, I I can only do six good ones today where prior I would do 20 good ones. Yeah. And like, it just like created this, I think it was more mentally thing. Like I had the base to do only do six, but like I couldn't get out of the mindset of I needed to do 20 because that's what worked before. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's so, that's so tough to, to know what you did to prepare and then your body can't, and then you've got to trick your brain to go like, okay, this is my new normal and I must be confident with this. That's, that's so difficult. Yeah. And I was already kind of that, the mental thing was already a struggle and it was just, there would, there would be days where, I just wouldn't feel right. And it would just, it would ruin my whole training session and I would waste a day. You know what I mean? Cause I'm like trying to warm up and then I'm getting pissed off and then, you know, I'm not getting the times I want, not because I can't do it. It's because I'm so frustrated. And then I like you you waste a day. And, and it was just like, there was multiple days I had stuff like that, but it was more of a mental thing rather than a physical thing. I just, I was imploding mentally. And it was, it was difficult at times coming back from that injury for sure. Yeah, people only see the the highlights, don't they? The Olympic golds and and all the the good races, but no one's there seeing and and understanding what's going on between the between the ears. You know, I think that's that's sometimes the best part of being retired is it's not as draining getting up thinking about the race and the result and the pressure and, and all that. I don't know if you felt that, like that was a bit of a relief. You know, when I go to a downhill race now, it's taken a few years. I won't lie. Obviously the first few you like, you think you could still do it or why am I not still out there? Was this the right decision? And now I'm pretty relieved to be on the side watching these idiots hurtle down hills and, and not have that like constant, pressure and just like it's just it's tough to switch the mind off i felt it is i think it felt it finally felt better when like like i would watch guys that that i had never raced as a pro 
Like when you're seeing okay. when you're seeing guys, yeah, like, yeah, when you're seeing guys like I used to kick that guy's ass, and he's up there, and it's like fuck, I sh- I could still do it. But then once that generation had kind of fizzled out, that's when it finally started feeling like all right, I'm I'm good with where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. That's probably some of what 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 I feel definitely. Um, before we get to yeah, like try trying your hand at mountain biking and maybe getting the passion back for bikes. I mean, I've I have to ask. So you went on the Oprah Winfrey show, right? Yeah, it was kind of it was kind of a weird. Was that a trip, or was it not as big as I'm making it out to be? It they she invited everyone that medaled at the Olympics that year. So Americans had like a hundred or so medals. Uh, so, oh, so okay. So me and Joe cycling was in the back. Like they talked to like Phelps and you know the basketball team. So we. Don't get me wrong, it was cool to see everyone and we got to do a lot of cool things, but we didn't like, we didn't like get up and go and talk to her or like she came around and talked to everyone, but it wasn't. Yeah, but you weren't like in the chair next to her, like a one-on-one with um, the, the Oprah Winfrey. No, no, no. We, we, we were in the back of the pack for sure. That's <laughs> <laughs> still a cool experience. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, what I'm super interested in is when you start thinking about uh, maybe hanging up the racing boots on BMX or was it like natural when you started the mountain bike thing to kind of get a change of scenery? Talk me through that decision. I mean, I know what it was like for me, but it's it's different for every athlete. And like you say, it's almost a, a death of what you know and and then to start trying something else in life. Yeah, and, like, the whole, like, for me, it it became, like, a four-year, like, everything was built around four years, right, trying to make the Olympics. So once I didn't didn't make the, the 2012 team, I just didn't see myself going to 2016. Like, I was older. I couldn't even do the training that I wanted to do now. And um, I still had a couple years on my GT deal. And um, I just didn't, I had enough. I just, like, after that that failure, I was I was ready to, to change it. And I don't know if many people know, but I've always been a mountain bike fan. Even, like, long, like, even, I followed it when I was a BMXer, like, to a T. Like, I kind of knew, you know, I knew who was going fast. I was just, like, a, a super fan, to be honest. And, um, so I, that's when I was like, all right, look, you know, G team obviously made good bikes and, um, and I just kind of threw the idea out and they were, they were, they were cool with it. But like I said earlier, I don't know why I just couldn't, and it's still frustrating to this day. Cause I still love riding my mountain bike. I, I ride my mountain bike a ton still. I just never had the skill to do it at an elite level. And it was frustrating as hell, to be honest, but it is what it is, right? You know, you can, maybe if I started doing that when I was, you know, my BMX age, it would have been different, but. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you definitely had skill sets that crossed over, but I mean, you're throwing yourself in the deep end with, uh, to try to downhill or even slalom, you know, the flat turns you're used to berms and, 
pretty damn slick tires. It's, it's such a diff. It is a real different sport. I mean, it has two wheels, but that's almost where the similarity. It's so in. funny because you like you hear about like King and Lopes and all and EC and all those guys being able to transfer over, but the the BMX track they were riding were four cross tracks. They were shit with flat corners and dirt corners. Like the BMX tracks that I rode, it's like at asphalt and. To be honest with you, like a BMXer, they they don't really learn how to turn. Like we don't we don't have to. We need to learn how to pass in the turn, but you don't like body positioning and putting your weight in a certain area and like that's just not something that's really necessary. You just like our feet are always flat, uh, you know, at at nine and three. So right when we come mm-hmm. out of the corner, you can pedal. We're not putting the foot down you're not your your body weight is just not an issue and and when you're on an asphalt corner it doesn't matter where you go on the turn you're gripping we had no knobbies it's just a totally different era from when those early guys came over yeah and they they it was just a different era for mountain biking as well i mean this the sports progressed so much it's so specialized i think you know back then people were doing slalom and downhill like you couldn't do that later in you know the late 2000s you couldn't do that you definitely couldn't do it now it doesn't really exist it's it's downhill cross country or enduro so um but i mean did it it did did, was it fun at least or was it just pretty frustrating being at the top of one sport and 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 trying to come into a sport and not being able to achieve what you what you wanted or was there at least a bit of like yeah, was the passion back for bikes and learning something new? Yeah. Yeah, that was yeah. the thing too. It was it was like extremely refreshing to suck on a bike. <laughs> like, cause like on a BMX, like yeah. you know, a BMX bike is fairly simple, right? You got it's you know, it, like any little tweak I made on that, I I knew exactly. I was very in tune with like. I liked messing with stuff and I liked trying it. So I, I was very, very in tune with the bike. But on a mountain bike, I had no idea why things were doing what they were doing. And it was like, it was, it was very refreshing to, to jump into that. Cause it was, I still like, I have no idea why the hell the bike is doing a lot of the things, but it's fun. Um, <laughs> so that, that was kind of nice. And, um, post the mountain biking and, and realizing that, you know, the Olympic dream was maybe not for you anymore. And it sounds like the Olympics were good and bad because maybe without the Olympics, then you just go year to year and you have the goals for the double A or whatever it's called or world champs and you keep motivated now, but now it's this big high into a bunch of low and then it's trying to get the big high again. And if you lose that, it's, it seemed to have burnt you out a bit. Yeah. Like after 08, um, like I, yeah, like the next year I was just like, all right, well, I'm in good form. Maybe I'll go for our, our title, uh, our U S title, the ABA title. And, um, in the middle of the year I was leading points and I, and I felt really good. And that's right when I started having the crazy back issues and, um, and and I would fly to, I remember a couple, like two weekends in a row, I flew to the East Coast for, for one of the races. Okay, bye. And um, and I was, I would get into the gate and my back was so sore that 
I, I would have to hold my breath coming out at the start. And then I would, I would like, if we had any like steep takeoffs, I remember like I would have this neoprene thing wrapped around my core to keep it tight. And anytime I'd hit a, a, a steep takeoff, I would like, it would shoot pain. Yeah. And then I, and then I was like, something is seriously, there's some serious issues going on here. So then, and, and then like, you're thinking like, oh, you know, I'll go get a massage. I'll go see the chiropractor. It's not that big of a deal. But after months, I was like, holy shit, there, this is, this is more, more than what I think it is. And that's when I started seeing, uh, seeing doctors and, and starting to like explore the idea of having a back surgery, which, which I always thought was kind of a career ending deal. And to be honest with you, between Red Bull and uh, the Olympic Committee, um, they they helped me out with that that guidance of the do- the right doctor to pick. And, all. and um, so, after the mountain bike stint, BMX, uh, what's it like making that decision? And we spoke about it off air. Mountain biking, it seems there are say like some more avenues after racing, but with BMX, it's maybe more limited. So you kind of knew, you know, you might be out of the industry and I know you've got a passion. I've read a little bit that civil engineering was always a previous passion. Was that something you said, okay, well, it's time to, to think about that. Uh, was family keeping you more busy? What, you know, what did that retirement self-talk look like? Uh, it is, that, is, that is a challenging time in, in an athlete's life. And, uh, and it's hard to talk to people about it because not many people have done it. And, and the people that haven't done it, they don't understand the, the feeling that you're going through. And I think you can maybe relate to that. Yeah, I mean, one, 100%. Yeah, let me hear your try. Yeah, try uh, educate us on, on your personal experience with it. it. It's just a hard balance of like knowing when to wave the flag. Like you still feel... Like I'm 36 right now. I still feel like I'm 20. You know, I still have the mindset that I'm 22. Like I haven't grown up. Mm. I still love riding my bike. I still ride a ton right now. And, um, but just to know that you can't do it, you know, I guess Minar is a different story. That guy's a, a freak. <laughs> yeah, no, that's an outlier. We can't, we can't compare to him. That makes you depressed. Yeah, that does. <laughs> that guy's in. Yeah. So, BMX, you just can't do it at that level for that long. But when you really think and you and the day comes and <laughs> and the you know the sponsor negotiations aren't going the way you like they had in the past, where it's like you know after the Olympics, like all right, here's four more years. Here, you ready to sign this thing? Like yeah. And you get to a, a stage where. Oh, do you want to be an ambassador? It's like, ah, oh, fuck! It's come to that that point. Hey, what are you tr- what are you trying to say? No, no, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, when you still think you no, mentally have it, right? And it's it is it is difficult. It is it is it's the it's depressing, like that they say. It's it's hard to take. You know, you've been gifted this thing, and everything's you've been gifted this like incredible talent but when when the time has come it is i don't know how to tell you it, it's just it's fucking hard 
And then not only no, that, like you, I mean, it's hard to talk to people about it. And then you're, you're like, for me, I kept a lot of things. Like I'm, I'm pretty introverted as it is. And I keep a lot of things to myself, which is probably not healthy at times. And, uh, and then, and then you finally get a job and you're going to an office every day and you're looking outside. It's a beautiful day when you know you could be riding or, you know what I mean? It's just like, and then you're like, my, my schedule is, uh, like eight to five and, and this is pretty depressing, but I'll tell you, I, I, there were times I'd drive to work at a different route or I'd go to a different Starbucks in the morning. Cause it's like, fuck, I can't do this every day. And, uh, it's fucking challenging. Well, thank, thanks, thanks for sharing that. And, uh, we spoke a bit off air on, on what I've getting up to. And I would say it's one of my biggest fears is you've created this lifestyle for yourself, freedom, you know, you've got to work your ass off, you know, I don't know if people that are used to working a different job would want to deal with the pressure and deal with the shit that you've been through. Um, but it is tough to, to stomach losing the freedom, I think. Like, cause if you, I would think if you're in the office, you're thinking, but you know, normally I'm training and then I go do this and then I get better at my bike and then I do something else. Like you can set your own schedule. So going to get locked into a job where you can't set your own schedule, I would assume is super challenging. And like, it's just this, it's not like someone's better or worse or the job's better or worse. It's like this crazy adjustment. It's like asking, like I spoke to Brooke McDonald about a few, like, you know, just silly comparisons. Like, would you study all those years and do something to become a lawyer knowing that there's, an end date on that career because that's basically what a sportsman is. And, and if you're not in a sport that gives you the financial backing to retire financially after you finished at 30, 31, 32, now you're kicking these athletes to the curb and you're saying, cool, next one in, like especially Olympics. It's like conveyor belt. Mate, if you're not going to make the team, someone else is going to work harder or be better or younger and they're going to make the team. So we're done with you. And that's what the Michael Phelps thing is. There's no support structure for someone to speak to, someone that's been through that, that can guide you and say, look, it's a normal feeling. It's going to suck for a few years or remember to try, find a passion away from work or like you, drive a different route to work. So otherwise it just feels like Groundhog's Day. So thanks for sharing that. Um, And that's maybe one of the big reasons is to reach out to people I've got to know and over years, touch base and say, how is it going? It's harder than we ever thought, isn't it? Even though people look from the outside and say, you've got an amazing family and you're raising kids. And, and I'm sure that brings insane fulfillment. But no one can understand, you know, the highs and lows of what you had. Yeah. And, it's, you know? and it's, to be honest with you, it's slightly frowned upon to speak about that. Like you're supposed to be, you know, this, this big, you know, you know, Olympic athlete, right? It's like, you're not supposed to be weak. You're not supposed to show weakness. You're not supposed to struggle, but man, it, it, it put things into, and I'm still, I mean, I haven't done it in a long time and I still 
still struggle with it, to be honest with you. And, um, I mean, obviously it's a little easier now, but, um, it, not only that, it's, there's not many people you can talk to about it. Like my wife, she'll, she'll listen to it and she, she's a great speaker and a great, like passionate person. But, but I was telling her a couple weeks ago, like, or no, this was like six months ago. I was like, I was like the, the feeling you have, like when you get into the start box or like our starting gate, like that feeling, those nerves and the butterflies and fuck, I miss that. <laughs> yeah, man. Talk to it. Yeah. yeah. I love that feeling like that, like those, you know, those like 10 seconds before you go. And I, I always had this like pregame ritual, like clap my hands. Fuck, I miss that feeling, right? Like that, that, that is unbelievable. Like you get, I get butterflies just thinking about like you're, you're getting in, you know, to a semifinal. It's fucking super hard. And, um, and I told my wife, I was like, I'll never feel that feeling again. Like that, that feeling of like, I'll never have it. I will never feel that again. And that's pretty depressing when you think about it. Like, fuck, that sucks. Because it is such an emotional, like, it feels so good. And then when you when you have a good one, it's like, you just won't feel that again. And that's hard to tell people. Like, they don't, that, that doesn't register to them. People that went to college and, you know, they're a personal finance guy. They don't, they don't know what that feels like. I mean, maybe they do in a different way. But like when you get into the Stargate and your heart rate is going up and you don't even know why it's going up, but you're just ready to go. Oh, fuck. That is a great feeling. <laughs> Dude, I, yeah, man. Amen. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, it, it gives me goosebumps. And it, yeah, it's a, I'm, thanks so much for sharing all of this and being vulnerable about it because I don't think, like you say, people speak about it enough. I don't think people are allowed to speak about it enough. And I and 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 it's so awesome to catch up on this and reconnect and it's one of the topics I want to maybe go down the road with this podcast is check in with people that have retired. It doesn't matter the sport. Like what are you doing to adjust? What are you doing to stay mentally healthy and and not risk going into a hole because it might have come up on the podcast, but Sean Palmer's documentary that was released a while ago, and obviously you know of Sean Palmer, and a lot of these guests might know of them. If they don't, just Google him. It's one of the most incredible action sports athletes have ever been, one of the most gifted snowboarders ever, and he made a transition and, and raced downhill and got second at the world champs. Those are for some that don't know him. The rest, I'm just boring you. And he said, standing on top of that podium, and I'm going to paraphrase him. And he said, those rich-ass, yacht-owning mother fluffers out there, they'll never know this feeling. And he's like, and I've done a lot of drugs. Or he's like, and no one taking drugs. And, and I know because I've done a lot of drugs, or whatever he says. That will never give you this feeling. And it is a dangerous feeling if you attach to it for too long or or you don't accept that it has passed, you know. And, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of athletes turn to drugs, alcohol. Uh, and, and another thing is 
you've like learned to do one thing, right? So ride a bicycle, but everyone's kind of like licking your toes and giving you whatever you want, giving you money. And like you get away with murder, like you call shit in a bar. And if you won that race, they probably, they probably don't give you as much trouble for it. Right. So like you kind of get a bit of entitlement as well. And then you step out of it and you're like, well, why are you acting like that? It's like, what do you mean? But you weren't taught to be a normal human being or a family man or to be a little less selfish because you have to be selfish sometimes to get to the top of the sport. Right. right? And it's funny you say that because like when you're like, when you put it in perspective, right, you're riding a bike and all your, your, your whole life revolves around riding a bike. And in the grand scheme of it, that's not that big of a deal, right? I I was going to give you a perspective. It's literally actually technically means nothing. Who gives a shit? Who gives two shits? You you're a good you can ride a bicycle. Like everyone can ride a bike, right? <laughs> yeah. Like when you put it but like the but that's that thing we talked about earlier, right? Like passion. Like that that is a that's kind of a drug in itself, right? Yeah, I, I definitely think so. And and I think if you're able, and it's easier said than done, but to not identify with it, and it's something I try practice. And and I actually started reading about it uh, late in my career, and it probably was a little bit of a downfall and why I retired when I did. Two things. There was this book called Ego is the Enemy. And I started realizing how ego-driven sports is. And then, so I was trying not to be attached to the ego. And then if you identify yourself as a BMX or as a Olympian, there's the danger because eventually that gets taken away. But that's not who you are. Mike Day happens to ride a bike at this incredible level because he puts so much work and dedication into it. He is not an Olympian. He just does that as a job. So it's about finding that, that self and fulfillment. And that's the challenge. And I'm preaching kind of to myself. Hey, I was I was a downhiller. Oh, now I'm a commentator, podcast ambassador. Well, technically, I just do those things as well. They're just masking over me losing the thing I won't admit. You know. It's funny. You you remember Chris Powell? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. During my whole Olympic thing, when I lived in San Diego, I rode with him a bunch, and I just liked his perspective on on. Uh, on life. He was just a super smart, super smart person. When he got out of racing, he became a lawyer and he's just super, and he's just a good, good dude. And I remember him after it, he's like, he's like, man, cycling doesn't have to be everything, right? It's like phase two of life can bring you as much joy as phase one. It's just how you do it. Yeah, yeah. And, and don't get me wrong. That's like really it's harder said than done, but it is true. It's like, if you have, and I'm also preaching to myself, um, but once you find it and you just keep working on it, I mean, it, it, it it's bound to happen. Like I'm ha like, I have a great family, you know, my kids are, it's awesome right now. And I have, and it's like a new, a new page is shit. I, in my house, you wouldn't even know I raced. 
I have not one bicycle related. I was going to I was going to ask about that. Yeah, you wouldn't even know. I have my Olympic uniform. My wife one of my birthdays, she got my whole uniform, legs, uh, pants and jersey. It's like the biggest shadow box you've ever seen. But that's the only the only picture in my house that is related to bicycles. Like I have trophies, but they're yeah. in the garage and um and that's more of just turning the page, right? Yeah, I, I'm similar, and I heard from some other athletes, like they leave it at the door. They come in, and they be a husband, or they be a boyfriend, or they be whatever. They they be themselves. Um, and uh, so I kind of made that decision as well. I kept some of it. Like, I don't know, helmets are cool. I like the painted helmet thing. I always looked up to riders that had painted helmets, so I never gave those away. But, you know, I... There was a Pingree. I don't know if David Pingree was in the motocross scene. I listened to a podcast with him, and he kind of said, he, you know, he went in there and he's, what am I doing with all this stuff? And he had a lot of trophies, won some championships, great career. And he was, you know, it, it is the past. And and I think if you make yourself aware that there is way more to life, if you think about you like zoom out, and you look at the world and how small we are as humans and then how small like riding a bicycle is like, it's awesome what you did. And it's, and it gives you all these tools, I think for the future, but it's finding the, the challenge. So I think my biggest challenge is finding where to throw my attention to finding, where am I going to sacrifice? Where am I going to work? Cause when I was racing, it was easy training program. I'm going to get faster. I'm going to go smoke some guys or whatever my ego was telling me. Now I'm like, okay, but, what path it's about giving yourself i guess patience to find that next path that you really want to get your teeth into and um i've i've uh, back i've started doing some charity work as well there's an awesome bicycle charity work and just like riding with these kids that that to me is super helpful as well like seeing kids get the stoke for riding and they come from underprivileged areas like that's amazing so I think like the sky's the limit if you let itself be, right? Yeah, it's funny you say that. Like I still do a weekly clinic at our local BMX track. Really? really? Yeah, yeah. And it's not I don't post it on social media or anything like that. I just but that that bike gave me a pretty good opportunity to travel the world and it's like and maybe these kids will never go to the Olympics or nothing. But I was telling someone a couple weeks ago, like the feeling of going standing on an Olympic podium for me is the same feeling of a guy of a 12 year old kid winning state championship. Right. It's just a different context, right? It's all the same. That kid is just as excited as I was. And he might never be able to go to the Olympics, but that is his Olympics. So it's like being able to do that. I just feel like it's kind of like I should do it. Right. It's like, it, it just, it's just, I think giving back is, is a good thing, but, but finding that path, like you were talking about, like during all this COVID stuff, um, I came home and our company was getting slow and, um, the owner came in she's like, Hey, we're, you know, we're, I'm going to have to kind of slim down a little bit. Can you work a couple days a week? And I mean, what can you do, right? You kind of have to, there's, there's no other option, but during my Olympic experience and 
I, I was very goal oriented, right. Or detailed. Like I loved writing things down and, um, I came up with this plan. I, I, I wrote everything I thought I needed to do to become a fireman. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I, I talked to my wife about it and, um, I had to take a couple school classes, become EMT, all this, this shit that takes a long time. Right. And, uh, I told my wife, Hey, I'm going to, um, I want to do this. I don't know what's going to happen with the company, you know, yada, yada. So from that day on, I, that's, that's, I, I, I got my EMT. I've applied to, I've, I've done all the prerequisites I've done. I've taken all the tests and, uh, I've, I've just been applying to, you know, every department that opens up around me. So that's the, the, the current and future goal. Yeah, and I, and I haven't told anyone because I, I never like to tell anyone until it happens. But yeah, I'm, I'm 100% into to, to doing that right now. That's fascinating. I brought up Pingree. So I don't know him from a bar of soap, but I always loved his like columns in motocross and, and stuff like that. I love the way he comes across. He's funny as shit, but he's super switched on. And maybe there's a way to link with him because he is also, as far as I know, a firefighter, San Bernardino. Is that inland? What's that? Yeah, yeah. San yeah, Bernardino. It. Yeah, San Bernardino County or whatever. It's like inland, right? A little bit inland California. And um, maybe there's a way for you guys to link. Maybe there is a guy you can speak to about post-racing and that career path because clearly there's a lot. Maybe there's some similarities that he enjoys after, you know, racing. That's pretty fascinating and you know how you we were talking earlier about that feeling right that that pre-race feeling i can imagine that those guys get a feeling right going yeah like going in yeah i mean if there's a fire or, or some sort of emergency yeah you guys like you got to get into flow state don't you to i'm not searching for that to be honest but that that just made me kind of think of it but um, yeah, cause I, for me, I can't go to an office every single day. Don't get me wrong. I, I have for the last five or six years, but I was becoming a miserable person, like not riding or not, you know, doing other things. So I, 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 I just feel that this career path would be better suited for my mental health, <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, you, you have to make that realization. Some people can go from sports to career or property or whatever, whatever they want to do, maybe like Chris Powell. I mean, everyone's different, but you've realized, I mean, you could have technically gone to college and then got a degree and then found out you're not an office guy and had to change careers anyway. So, I mean, I touch wood, that's a goal of mine to not locked down into that style of work but that doesn't mean i don't want to work that doesn't mean i don't want to sacrifice and to be a uh, firefighter in america i've yeah i've heard a bit about it it's an incredible tough job and the work to get the certifications is insane but yeah you would think without knowing it very well it'd be a pretty big rush you know and i think you would deal well with the pressure knowing what you know and all the work you did going to olympics you know, it's like, hey guys, 
it's go time. We need to, you need to be on top of your game, no mistakes because people's lives are at risk. And, and as an athlete, I think we're to be good. I think you got to be very coachable and you got to take criticism pretty well. Yeah. Talk to that. I, I agree a hundred percent. To be good, you got to get your ego aside and, and maybe your, your coach can't do it the way, but I think the best coaches, I, I don't even know if a coach needs to be able to do it, but they got to be able to explain it. They got to be able to visualize. They got to be able to teach you how to do it. And you have to be open to being able to do it. And um, being coachable at an elite level and swallowing your pride, I think is, is necessary. And, um, and I say that because I liked being coached and I liked following a program and I liked training. It took a while, but I liked the discipline of doing it. I like, there's something gratifying about checking th- everything off the training, the daily training blog. Like, all right, did that, did that. There was just something about that, that I felt good about. And, um, that was like another, for me to, to, to kind of do this career shift is I still love getting better and looking for that little 1%, right? And we always talked about, it. like for me, it's like, I'm always looking for that extra little bit. And I, I, th- I think in that line of work, like you're always training, you gotta be physically fit. I miss that about going to an office every day of just being fit. I like being fit, you know, I like, there's just something good about, you know, being fit there. That's just healthy, I love it. And uh, I think that that led to that decision and made it a little bit more easy to go all in. And that's one thing about me. If I'm going to do it, I'm, I'm putting my head down and I'm going to make it happen. (laughs) Yeah, I can, I can relate, but it's awesome that it sounds like you've found something after all the challenges that, that you want to, you know, get your teeth into. And, And I think that's awesome. And yeah, I know America's different to here. I mean, the, the career paths for firefighters would maybe be a bit more challenging and I know there, it you you know you can really look after your family well, and it's it's a sort of the career, and uh, yeah, that like those guys are fit. Like you got to be fit. You got to stay on top of your game. And and you spoke to something. Athletes, I think, have uh, an advantage on some areas in life. Um, learning to be self-critical, sometimes to their own detriment. Always trying to find something to be better. Always having to improve. Like it's almost toxic it's it drains your energy but that's how you get to the best like you weren't satisfied with second at the olympics just for that mere fact like what could i have done better could i have not listened to my king could i have you know trained a little harder with that i'm not trying to put king no, down no, i know but i'm just making a joke yeah, yeah, yeah. no no i've got the utmost respect for king no no in utmost respect but uh I, you know it's just an example of like being over critical of, of how you can improve, you know? Yeah. I, I interviewed a couple of weeks for a department and I'm like, what's your biggest weakness? And that, that was it. Like I'm, I'm way too hard on myself. Right. Yeah. But in a, in like, I want to get better. Yeah. Never said sat- never satisfied. I'm never satisfied. I'm always searching for that 1% to be better. 1% here, 1% there that you get a couple percent you're you're, you're making waves. Right. Yeah, I know. If you get 1% better per day, man, you, you're going to tally that up at the end of a year, end of 10 years. It's, it's incredible. Mike, 
You've been incredibly open, vulnerable. I appreciate that. I've learned a lot. Is there, is there anything you would say to your 20-year-old self or younger self or maybe the younger generation uh, after what you've been through learned? Is there some words of wisdom? I would say if I could do it all again, I would look in the mirror at times when things were rough and, and remember why you love to do it. I think that's like, there was times or years where I would not appreciate what I was doing. It was a job and I was just checking the boxes where I forgot the passion. And I think if there was days I would look in the mirror and like kind of remember the real reason I like to ride and the real feeling I got from it and the real joy it brought me, that could switch your mindset and, um, and just not, not take it to, to that level at times. You got to have fun. You got to, you got to remember why you do it. You got to, you know, play beer pong and you know what I mean? You got to, you got to enjoy the little, the baby steps that it's going to take to get to, to the end goal. If that makes sense. That, that, that makes so much sense. It's, I've been asked the same question and I think that's the advice I'd give to my former self is, you know, it, it's cliche, but enjoy the ride. Honestly, enjoy the ride. Cause it's over so quick and that's sport, life, holiday, even work. Like, you know, try find some good in it because it's going to be over, you know, and someone always has it worse. But I think that's an amazing way to end this, Mike. And and definitely, you know, sacrifice is key. Delayed gratification brings you success, but you've got to enjoy the ride as well. So I think for the listener at home, make sure you look up Mike Day on YouTube, uh, just uh, YouTube Mike Day and manuals because, I mean, you can – What's the furthest around a track you've manual? I, I think I've made it to like the third turn. I actually made it down the the, the third turn. Third turn, yeah, a few times. Like around, so around the turn, you're still on the back wheel, and then through the rollers, through the next turn. That was my. Uh, well, uh, that was my strong. I I had the skills. That was that was. No, no. We we, we spoke, spoke about, about a lot. We got in depth, but Mike, Mike has always had, has always had the skills. So definitely YouTube some of those videos. And, videos and uh, thanks, uh, thanks so much, so for, much your for your time, time Mike. Mike. That was incredible. Good times. I'll talk to you soon. Wow. Got to give another huge shout out to Mike Day for being so open, for being so candid. I think he was pretty vulnerable there as well. And I hope you appreciate that and look at all the things we can take away and learn from that. So thanks so much again to him. Thanks so much to you guys for downloading this episode. Guys, you know what to do. If you enjoyed it, it really does help. Leave, uh, leave a review. I read all those reviews. I get a lot of direct messages. I really appreciate that. I try and go through them all, try to respond to them. And I really appreciate the support. It's been a fun journey. i got another trick up my sleeve. I'm hoping to try do a more random show. Why don't I answer some questions that you guys might have? Uh, I'll bring on a co-host. Uh, are you struggling with your riding, your mental side? Um, who knows what it is? Suspension. I don't know. But why don't you guys start direct messaging me on Instagram? It's probably the easiest. I'll start making a note of those. And then I'm going to try a little random show. So, guys, it's up to you guys. Send those questions in. Let's have some fun with it. Till the next one, stay well. <laughs>